Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to Friday. So yesterday we did Thursday, 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 and that didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. So today we're going to do Friday, Friday. Good morning. Good morning. I hope that um, as the sun rises wherever you are, you recognize that the sun has risen, right? So even if the sun, S-U-N, isn't up where you are at the moment, trust me and revel with me in the reality that the sun, S-O-N, is risen He is risen indeed. Glory, hallelujah. It's not just on Easter Sunday that we declare that good news of the gospel over all creation and every moment of every day. The sun is risen, my friends. He is risen indeed. Glory, hallelujah. That changes everything. So with the resurrected reality of Christ in mind, let us turn to the word of God. Where in the word are you today? I am in Matthew chapter 7. We continue in the Sermon on the Mount in our conversation about today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which you can sign up for at myfaithradio.com. So we arrive today at Matthew chapter 7 verses 18 to 20, which are a part of um, this passage that is really verses 15 to 20. And so I'm going to read verses 18 to 20 in their context. Um, And so this is Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Again, Jesus speaking here. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Um, They are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Wait, wait. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Mm -hmm, That's true. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Also true. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, again, Jesus, uh, as we said yesterday, is talking about discernment as we consider um, the lives of other people, particularly those who would um, position themselves as speaking into our lives in some kind of spiritual way. But let's just have a conversation for a moment about fruit. Like if you were going to have some fruit on your cereal this morning, what kind of fruit would that be? If you were going to have, you know, fruit, if you were, I don't know, maybe you're going to have a fruit Pop-Tart. Maybe you're going to have a fruit-filled pastry of some kind. What kind of fruit are you uh, are you leaning toward? This is kind of apple season. I feel like people leaning a lot toward apples right now. Um, pumpkin spice. I'm not sure pumpkin is a fruit, but maybe today it could be. What's your favorite fruit? And of course, yes, immediately comes to mind, I like to eat, I like to eat, I like to eat, eat apples and bananas. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, sing along if you know it. Uh, I really appreciate the versatility of figs and grapes, which are directly referred to here by Jesus. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. So um, Jesus was uh, definitely um, a fig and a grape guy. 
But I digress. Jesus isn't talking about apples, bananas, figs, or grapes, ultimately. Although, you know, he certainly liked to eat his uh, share of fruit. Um, When Jesus describes the fruit inspection in these verses, he's talking about the production of a human life, what our lives produce. Um, Fruit here is what a tree or a plant produces. So what does your life produce? A harvest of righteousness or a harvest of unrighteousness? Each one produces more of its kind. So if we're in Christ, branches of the true vine, then we will naturally, or I guess supernaturally, produce fruit of his kind. You could read John 15, verses 1 through 8, to understand the vine and the branches. And as we discussed yesterday, Paul offers us a list as means of illustration in Galatians 5, describing one list as fruits of the flesh and one list as fruits of the Spirit. Um, And so, you know, is your life producing the works of the flesh, evident as sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and things like these? We're warned against those. Instead, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and things like these. So Jesus says today um, that, you know, just as a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, um, then we want to be trees, branches of the vine that are producing good fruit. We want to be connected to the one who is the good vine, the good true vine. Jesus also says here there's a penalty, right? There's a judgment part of this passage, um, and this, uh, this cutting off and being thrown into the fire business uh, is the same language that Jesus uses to describe what happens to unproductive vines in John 15 or, um, or the product of bad soil in Luke 8. Luke 8 is a good, uh, good passage to read today as well. All right, so we're all bearing fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit are we bearing? Good, um, good question for us to talk with one another about today. Uh, and I want to be um, producing a harvest of righteousness. That's how Paul describes it in Philippians 1. So that uh, on the day of Jesus, you may be pure and blameless, having produced a harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Amen? Well, amen. Hey, we'll be back in just a moment. Um, I'm, I'm going to have us consider what life was like in the days after the flood. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Yes, thank you to those of you on the text line asking about redemption muffins during this season at the LaBerge household. For those of you not familiar with the redemption muffin, you can actually just um, you can just search the word muffin on the Faith Radio website at myfaithradio.com. I'm pretty sure it's the only muffin reference we've ever made. Uh, so uh, traditionally, this time of year, I make redemption muffins because traditionally this time of year, having harvested the apples from our orchard, we are um, using this 100-year-old family apple press to make pressed cider. And then you end up with all of the remnants of the apples. And from those, I like to make redemption muffins. Sadly, this was not in today's Friday Farm Report, but since you've asked about it on the text line, I'll share. Um, So sadly this year, there are no apples. There are also no pears and no um, grapes, no muscadines. 
other than blueberries and peaches, <clears throat> we we got literally nothing from our orchard. Not because it failed to produce, but because the squirrels ate them all. And when I say all, I mean all. Stripped them bare. And so there are no apples uh, from which we would be making cider or redemption muffins this year, which... Um, Yes, we'll lead to further conversation in the program today during the actual Friday Farm Report about the process of squirrel population reduction that is now underway <clears throat> on our property. Yes, there you go. Um, all right, so I want to uh, I want to share with you these headlines, mostly out of the western part of the United States, but you know that means that you would think of the Mississippi as west, and for many of you, the Mississippi is east, and so. For those of us who live east of the Mississippi, this is a story about the West. For those of you who live west of the Mississippi, this is a story about the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this drought that we've been experiencing, we've been talking about how um, lakes and rivers in the western United States are at really historic lows and the things that are being exposed. So you're, you're seeing frequent articles right now about Lake Mead. Um, and in Lake Mead, they are finding all kinds of things. Um, and in fact, there's been now uh, the sixth discovery this year of human remains exposed as the lake recedes because of drought. Human skeletal remains found um, now for the sixth time this year as the waters recede. But because of the prolonged drought, they've also found relics of sunken boats, a World War II area or World War II area landing craft, ancient volcanic rock, um, and all kinds of other things. And so when you uh, when you think about Lake Mead, which straddles the Nevada-Arizona border, um, for those of you looking for it on a map, um, it is the nation's largest reservoir, uh, and it serves about 25 million people in Arizona, Nevada, uh, or Nevada, California, and Mexico. And so it's a significant, you know, issue that Lake Mead is at these historically low levels. But it's not just Lake Mead. So this is an issue uh, not only uh, across the country, but ultimately around the world. And we'll talk about that in just a second. What's popping in the headlines right now in terms of receding water uh, are the issues on the Mississippi River. And the low levels on the Mississippi River are making it very, very difficult for, in some portions uh, of the river, for, you know, those big barges to to push those, um, well, the yeah, the way that they move things down the Mississippi, right? The way that all of those, I mean, I think of them as tractor trailers, but, you know, those big containers, how they move along barges down the Mississippi. And um, it's a its a major commercial, um, it, you know, fluid interstate is the way I might think of it. But it's not flowing in many places. There's islands in the Mississippi now, which, you know, there shouldn't be. And so that's an issue. But being revealed are all kinds of things, including um, Civil War artifacts. And so people are finding all kinds of things um, as the waters recede, which got me thinking. This got me thinking about our reliance upon water and rivers in particular and thanking God um, for uh, for both. It also got me thinking about the aftermath of a flood, like what's exposed when water recedes. And we just had a conversation yesterday with Jeremy Rennie, who is a pastor in um, in Sanibel Island, Florida, about, you know, what it's like to be back on the island as the waters have receded. Um, I'm thinking about the people of Pakistan, a third of that nation covered with water this year in a in a historic flood. What what is um, what is exposed as the water recedes? What what kind of debris is left behind? Which also then got me thinking 
What was the world like? What was the world like in the days after the flood of Noah? Like, other than those on the ark, every other person, every animal, every bird drowned. That's a lot of death. That's a lot of decaying flesh. That's a lot of skeletal remains. Noah and his family did not emerge from the ark into like some kind of new Eden. They, they emerged into a world that was racked by the consequences of generational human sin. And as the water receded, they surely saw evidence of, of a life, of relics of war, of civilizations and cities now gone. What do you suppose they learned from all of that? What might we learn as the waters recede in our day? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. I'm gonna live where the green grass grows Watch my corn pop up in rows Every night be tucked in close to you I'm Carmen LeBurge, and you're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. And yes, this is the Friday Farm Report. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so I have a number of things to share with you on today's Friday Farm Report. So last Friday, I can't remember if I shared with you that Jim was um, in Colorado on his annual elk hunt. And you're saying to yourselves, hmm, I feel like we talked talked about Jim's annual elk hunt a month ago. Well, yes, that was the, you know, the one where you go with a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. That was the, um, uh, it's not a rifle hunt, a bow hunt. Yeah, he went on a bow hunt in uh, the end of August, the beginning of September. That's a, that's a whole different kind of hunting. And then um, he went, you know, to first, it's called first rifle. And so uh, let me just say this. Uh, Colorado is the elk hunting capital of the world. And so there's a lot of people who go hunting during first rifle season. And I don't know that Jim's ever gone during first rifle before. I think he normally goes later in the year. It's normally very, very cold when he goes. So this time it was much more temperate. But that also meant that the elk hadn't been, you know, like pressed down low yet. And so uh, he put 50 miles on his legs, as he would describe it, during uh, during his hunt. And... Um, it was like very near the last day, like, right. You only have a certain number of days during, um, these brief seasons during to, you know, to accomplish the task. And so it was, uh, and he'd been out there a, a full week. And so it was like the last day of the hunt. And so he asked us to, you know, to pray for him. And, and it's not, you know, just that God would give him an elk for any, any, um, prideful reason, but because we do rely on the meat. I mean, we, we eat it. And so God provided, and we want to celebrate that provision. It also means that uh, so for the last five days, every evening, we've been processing elk because an elk has a lot 
of meat on it. And so last night we finished the task of processing 150 pounds of elk and packaging it up and putting it away in our big freezer. And so there you go. Thanking God today for his provision and, uh, and all the meals that will follow and all the opportunities to share that bounty with others. Now, let me tell you about the squirrel population reduction process that um, it has, upon which we have embarked. Yeah, and so just so that you, um, you know, aren't concerned about the squirrels, there's, there's plenty of squirrels and, and there's a, an overpopulation problem where we live. And so anyway, uh, that is going on. But it's nothing like the story that I read out of Florida where they have been um, having a contest to capture Burmese pythons. Apparently, this happens once a year in the state of Florida. Um, there's not supposed to be pythons in, uh, in Florida, but there are lots of them, and they are reproducing at a, at, at a tremendous rate. And so they have these contests every year, you know, for the person who um, brings in the biggest python, the, that person who captures the most pythons in this short window of time during these python hunts. And let me just tell you, the statistics here are really uh, staggering. So the winner uh, on one level is this uh, teen, I mean, they call him a teenager, but that's, you know, 19. I don't know. I'm not feeling too teenagerish about 19 anymore. Anyway, but he is a teenager. Uh, and he's captured 28 Burmese pythons during this, uh, during this one particular contest. But somebody else um, brought one in that was like 18 feet long and had like 122 you know, like baby pythons uh, in her. Yeah. Okay. Um, Let's see. Other things on the Friday Farm Report here at home. The little hens are finally laying. You guys have been asking about this. You know, we got all those, you know, how all those little baby chicks in the spring. When do they start laying eggs? Well, they have started laying eggs. And it's also time to put the light in the coop because, as we have discussed before, a chicken lays an egg for every 14 hours of light that she is exposed to. And so this time of year, she doesn't have much light, and so she's not producing an egg every day. So, it's time to get the uh, the light in the coop for her. For some of you, you know, it's also time to put those little heater things in your water in your chicken coops. Otherwise, your chickens won't have water. They'll have ice, and they don't much like that. All right, so uh, there you go. One more fun Friday fact here, and I'm going to just read it as it was posted by CNN because I kind of like the way they said it. In queso, you didn't know. In queso you didn't know, Chipotle is now testing a robot named Chip. Chip is making, as you might assume, tortilla chips. There you go. So, um, I, you know, and I, there's a part of me that's like, okay, this is now one more job where a person has been replaced by a machine. But I got to tell you, uh, you know, I, sus- I kind of have suspected all along that most of the chips I eat in my life are produced by machines, not by people. So there you go. In queso, you didn't know. Mm -hmm. And one more um, sort of Friday-ish note, which we will talk with later today uh, on this topic with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. But the Powerball across the country is is got this crazy projected jackpot again, um, very very near a billion dollars. And we're going to have this conversation about Christians and doing things like playing the lottery and gambling in general. Uh, These are good conversations for us to have um, as people across the country and around the world are, you know, engaging in activities that they're not godly. And so we want to be talking about that as people of faith, and we want to be entering into those conversations. Um, You know, I'm not trying to rob you of your joy or of your fun, but, you know, are there not ways that we can apply ourselves, um, you know, to be productive individuals and, and the ways in which 
um, we could use our material wealth um, to bless others instead of to participate in, you know, just straight up gambling, which is what the Powerball is. All right. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. We are going to take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Okay, the Friday Farm Report always provokes lots of questions on the text line. Remember, you can text me during the show, 877-933-2484. Kathy says, I love the Farm Reports. Jim from Connecticut says, well, now I'm curious about how he gets the elk home. The whole thing in a pickup? Field dress and ship on dry ice? Fly it home? Okay, Jim. So <clears throat> you uh, you field dress the elk uh, and you immediately pack out the best parts, which are the tenderloins and the backstrap. <clears throat> That's your first load out. You leave the rest of it to, well, hopefully you've been able to drag it somewhere close to a stream because it, this is just a mess, as you can imagine. And they're huge animals. And so uh, then the process uh, you return to ordinarily the next morning because you don't want to be out there at night because there are cougars and bears and all kinds of, you know, other dangerous things. And you don't want to be kneeling over a dead animal while predators are out there. So that's going on in in this as well. And if you're like my husband, you're you're by yourself when you're doing this. So so he returns the next day and he continues to uh, process the elk in the field. And for Jim, my husband, that means uh, he completely, he quarters it and then he completely debones it. So all he's packing out is the meat. So there you go. That's the process. He gets it to his pickup truck. He puts it in a big cooler. He drives to town. He packs it down with ice. And then uh, you spend 22 hours driving home. But of course, you're exhausted. And so because I am a good wife, I jumped on an airplane really early Saturday morning, and I flew to Colorado, met him at the Denver airport, and I drove him home while he slept for the next two days. So there you go. (laughs) And there is the rest of the story. Now you know the rest of the story. Um, All right. And then, um, uh, yes, and then for the question, uh, squirrel recipes, yeah, that's not happening. Just letting you know, um, there will later in the year be some coyote eradication as well. And so the squirrels are being kept on uh, in in what I will call cold storage for a planned coyote eradication later in the year. I mean, the the farm report is not sounding very much like a garden today, is it? Wow. All right. Well, this is is what management looks like, uh, you know, in the wild. I don't know. I don't really live in a place that that's wild, but it certainly sounds like it today, doesn't it? Hey, Jenny Albers is going to join us next. Her book is Courageously Expecting. She has such a tenderful and wonderful testimony and an incredible ministry um, for uh, for women and men after pregnancy loss. Like, how do you how do you gin up the courage to get pregnant again and have all of um, you know that wonderful anticipation again after you've lost a child in pregnancy? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Jenny Albers is joining us. You're going to be able to find her and her blog and tons of really wonderful resources at her website, Jenny Albers, A-L-B-E-R-S dot com. You can find all the links for our conversation today in the show notes later today at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. Um, Jenny, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, Carmen. All right. We, uh, we're sorry that we brought you into the audio at such a strange point. And um, now you know this is a show about everything because you heard <laughs> the Friday perfect. Farm Report. <laughs> we're hunting people, so I get it. Yeah. Yes. There you go. So um, first of all, thank you for your vulnerability, your very public witness on, um, on things that are very, very hard for many people to talk about. And yet something that so many families deal with. Um, the book is Courageously Expecting 30 Days of Encouragement for Pregnancy After Loss. Talk with us about um, uh, about who the audience is for this devotional because it's so precious. Yes, this is for any woman who has lost a baby um, through miscarriage, through stillbirth, um, who wants to become pregnant again, who is pregnant again, who is thinking of becoming pregnant again. Um, this book is really meant to walk with her through that journey of kind of what comes next after you lose a baby. Which leads me, um, you know, Jenny, into the into the territory that's always hard to ask of a person. And yet you're, you know, you're so open about this. But tell us your own story um, of pregnancy loss, because pregnancy after loss is, you know, is obviously where you stand now. Right. Yes. Yes. So I have been pregnant four times. My first pregnancy resulted in the birth of my daughter. Um, it was a textbook pregnancy, no issues. So I assumed um, that I would go on to have more children, no problem. Um, miscarriage, stillbirth, none of that was really on my radar. So I became pregnant again for the second time. And I ended up losing that baby early on in that pregnancy due to an ectopic pregnancy. Um, and so I, we grieved that throughout that year, decided to try again. There were no issues um, as far as trying again from a medical perspective. So I became pregnant again with my third pregnancy. And that pregnancy ended just after the 20 week mark um, with a stillbirth. And so for about three weeks prior to that, um, I had been experiencing lots of complications. Um, and finally, um, we lost our baby kind of through a three week period. Um, and it was heartbreaking. It was devastating. It was isolating. Um, it, it still is the worst thing that I've experienced and the deepest grief that I have experienced. Um, so that was, we, we had about a year long grieving period before really deciding to try again. Um, and I mean, there's just so many questions that go into that process and so many unknowns. And it really is really just a terrifying time and a terrifying thought of having to go through another loss. Um, so your daughter is, um, is how old when you, yeah, when, when all of this is going on? Yeah, she is three years old. So she was very young. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I just so appreciate is that you are inviting all of us in to the most painful, darkest, desperately sad, um, hard, challenging um, walk of faith. And yet you walk in it by faith and you... Um, 
and you find the courage to allow God to conceive in you again a, a, a baby. Um, talk with us about the the courage part of all of this, because courageously expecting has the word courageous at the beginning for a reason. Right. Well, it is an act of courage to decide to try again. Um, because like I said, you don't know. After you lose a baby, you realize how uncertain pregnancy is and how nothing is guaranteed. And so you really are opening yourself up to more heartbreak. And it takes courage to believe that maybe this time will be different, even though what you've walked through already has proven to be devastating. Um, And so I think anyone who decides to become pregnant again or who decides to try again is really walking in courage and trusting that God is faithful. And I don't mean that in a way that he will give you the baby that you want um, necessarily, but that he will walk with you through it and that God is faithful to bring good things out of the hard parts of our life and out of the devastation that we have walked through um, and that he is faithful to be there and to be in those hard parts with us. We're talking with Jenny Albers. The book is Courageously Expecting, 30 Days of Encouragement for Pregnancy After Loss. Her website is JennyAlbers, A-L-B-E-R-S dot com. You can also find her on Facebook and Twitter. Um, She is, uh, she's offering, you know, real support uh, to women and um, and men, to people like me who um, have friends or daughters or maybe granddaughters who are going to walk in this way. I'm thinking of my my sister, whose friend Trish has a sister who just had a baby who was stillborn, and I've already um, recommended this. Um, let's talk about the timing of that. Like, so when I say to my sister, Tiana, I think you should shall tell Trish to get this book for her sister, right? <laughs> what's the timing of that in terms of um, what's in your experience, maybe most appropriate? Yeah, well, it's so personal. Um, So I think think in this case that you're talking about, it might be appropriate to wait a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of for the grieving process to to just be set in motion and for there to be some space between the loss and between what comes next. However, um, I know, and after doing some research as well, it's very common for women to almost immediately after a loss, start thinking about becoming pregnant again and start thinking about having another baby. And so kind of knowing that information, just putting this resource on the radar um, and letting women know that it's out there, whether it's offering it to them or not, um, I think is appropriate because in my experience, and like I said, through research, we are thinking about having another baby because we're so, we want a baby in our arms. It's devastating. And to experience a stillbirth, um, I, I just, it's just so awful. So I think, I think that's totally appropriate. Again, it does depend on the person. We all grieve differently. Um, we all have different personalities, but just to know that this resource is there for women. And also, you know, with there being no expectation that they might pick this book up in a certain time frame either. I think it's great mm-hmm. to be able to give it to them and to say when and if you're ready, this is here waiting for you on the bookshelf. Let me read a paragraph to you. Um, hope is hard. I think most women who are pregnant after loss would agree it's the second hardest experience of their life. To lose a baby is the hardest. But to choose to hope for life after loss, knowing that it might not come, 
Well, that may as well be the definition of hard. But you know what else it is? Courageous. Because choosing to try again when fear is ever-present and nothing is promised is not for the faint of heart. Um, Courageously expecting. Um, 30 Days of Encouragement for Pregnancy After Loss. Jenny Albers is the author, and we're talking with her now. Um, Jenny... I want to um, I want to talk about a term that I learned from you and other people may not be familiar with this term. Um, what what is uh, a rainbow baby and who is yours? Yes, a rainbow baby is a baby born after loss. So my rainbow baby is my son. His name is Axel. He is six years old now, um, and he is who I talk about in the book. He was my um, the pregnancy that courageously expecting is based on. And so it's really a term that's meant to kind of embody the idea of a rainbow coming after the storm of pregnancy loss. I love the term. I was not familiar with it. Um, And so thank you for expanding my, uh, you know, my knowledge and my vocabulary. Thank you also for making, you know, me just more and more sensitive to to this. I want to talk with you as well about um, uh, the experience of your husband in all of this, because this is not a journey that a woman walks alone. And yet a woman walks this journey in a very, very unique way because she is the one carrying, um, you know, carrying the baby and ultimately losing it. Like it's a physical experience for the woman, but it is an experience for um, her husband as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So, I mean, from loss through pregnancy after loss, very different experience for both of us. Um, I I know that Luke, my husband, grieved um, very deeply. It was devastating for him. However, he couldn't necessarily understand what I was going through um, as a woman. And also just being the person who was carrying the baby and, um, you know, the way that, that I think about it and the way that I felt was that my body had failed me. And so he didn't carry that aspect of grief with him. I very much had the guilt aspect as well as, you know, the sorrow aspect of grief. Um, and then as far as pregnancy after loss, he, thank God for him, had, um, a much more positive attitude than I did. Um, he was much more easily hopeful, I guess he was more easily hopeful that things were going to work out well, which I needed. I needed that encouragement and I needed that hope because for me on my own, it was hard to um, carry that with me like by myself. Um, And so he really carried our family. Uh, My daughter and I, he really picked up kind of where I was lacking um, as far as my mental health and my physical ability to do kind of the normal household things that I would normally do. Um, and so he really supported me in that way. So with his encouragement and also kind of with just his physical ability to carry our household when I couldn't. Hmm. We're talking with Jenny Albers. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to ask Jenny the hard questions. Um, and up next, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to ask, um, you know, things that some of us are curious about that we've maybe been afraid to ask our friends or family members who have lost a child and um, and how they want us to approach some of those conversations, recognizing that it's totally unique to the individual experience, um, but also hoping that Jenny can help us answer questions like, okay, so are you the mother of four or are you the mother of two? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of what we do on live radio every day. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you at MyFaithRadio.com. Right now, we're inviting you to share your Faith Radio story. What do you love about Faith Radio? What do you love about Mornings with Carmen? How has this program changed the way you think or the way you live, the way you engage others in the conversations of the day? We really do want to hear from you. Your story could encourage someone else and certainly glorify God. So share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leave us a message today. Again, thanks for listening. Thank you to all of you um, on on the text line who are resonating um, so deeply with Jenny's story. We're talking with Jenny Albers. The book is Courageously Expecting 30 Days of Encouragement for Pregnancy After Lost. Um, Jenny, we've got a, you know, we've got a friend online who's um, certainly has this experience uh, in, in their, in their family, um, you know, having, having lost um, more than one grandchild in this way and then celebrating their grandson, who's a rainbow baby. Uh, I'm just celebrating that, but also just recognizing the grief in all of that. I have another friend here um, who says, um, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to know um, if this is a good book for someone who has, you know, lost a baby, um, but then been told that they're probably not going to get pregnant again. Um, is this a good resource for them? My inclination is to say yes, because I know that you deal with this in the book, um, but I'll ask it to you as well. Yes, I think so. Um, again, Everyone is different. It's a personal um, story and personal experience for every individual. But I do address that in the book for when we don't get what we want. But I think it also addresses the grief that this person has dealt with as far as losing babies. And that's really what I wanted to um, make sure to address in the book was that no matter what happens, we have we, we have this grief. We all have this grief story. It's all painful, and none of us are alone in that. Yeah. So um, David's online, and he says, I have three grandkids. One of them is in heaven. Um, you know, certainly looking forward to meeting him one day face-to-face. Um, talk with us about, like, how um, how we talk about those babies in heaven. Like, are, I mean, I'll just straight up ask, like, do you consider yourself the mother of two or the mother of four? I consider myself the mother of four. Now, it depends um, kind of on the circumstances as to how I would answer that question, though. So for this scenario where I'm talking with you about pregnancy loss and being very open, um, I have no problem saying four. That's what we're talking about. However, if you are just somebody at the playground who asks me, most likely I will say two. Right, because otherwise (laughs) then it's like, right, then it's like all of a sudden... You've like gone yeah. way too far, yes. too fast. It's too, too much deep, of a too... long story. Yes. To go, well, where are your other two? Well, how old are they? Are they boys? Are they girls? You know? So yeah. So right. very much is circumstantial um, for, I think for all of us, I think I'm speaking for many people here who will say it depends on the circumstances, how I answer that question. And I answer it differently depending on who's asking. But I think we, most of us or many of us at least consider those children to be our children. So we do include them in our family count or in our, in our, how many children we have um, personally, although we might not always express that. So following the birth of your daughter, 
um, I mean, you share this in the book and you've shared it here as well. Um, you had a pregnancy that was eptopic. Um, and then um, you had a third pregnancy and you share, you know, that this, this child has a name. Um, you, you carried this baby boy for some 20 weeks um, and his name is Micah. Talk with us about, um, talk with us about the naming of, um, of a child who is lost during pregnancy. Like, that seems like a really important, significant thing to do. Right. Yes. So again, personal, I did not choose a name for our first loss. It didn't really occur to me at that time, but I do know other people who have chosen to name their babies that they lost very early in pregnancy, which is completely appropriate. Um, so as far as naming Micah, I, I knew that I was going to be giving birth. I knew mm. that Micah would not be coming home, but I knew that I was going to see my baby. Um, and I wanted I, just very deeply, I wanted and I felt the need to name him um, and to really, I, I wanted to be able to talk about him with a name, you know, to say this was a person, this was a loss, this is a child that we've buried. Um, I, I guess I wanted to make it not only personal for me, but more personal for other people to understand that we had seen our baby, that we had carried a baby and that we had lost a baby and that this child was important. Um, and so I think people do, again, personal, but I think um, as time goes on and as more stories come out and as we get better at talking about pregnancy loss, the more and more I hear about women um, and dads as well, naming their children um, who they've lost at five, six, seven, eight weeks pregnant. Um, and I think it really kind of validates that life um, for both the parents and also for those surrounding them. It helps put a name to what they've lost. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is uh, is such a gift. It's um, it's very intimate. Um, it's courageously expecting thirty days of encouragement for pregnancy after loss. You can also connect with Jenny online, JennyAlbers.com. Um, Jenny, tell folks some of the things that they are going to encounter at your website because you have um, these wonderful prayers. You have this, you know, this monthly opportunity for me to have a different screensaver on my phone, like all kinds of really fun, uh, wonderful things. So, um, so I think that people would like to know what's there. So can you invite us to your website and to interact with you there? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there is a lot, I have a lot of articles and a lot of posts on both pregnancy loss and pregnancy after loss. Um, I try to send out a monthly newsletter um, just with updates and recommendations. I also have recommendations on my website for other books um, that are good if you're looking for a resource, if you know someone who has had a miscarriage, if you are someone who has had a miscarriage and are looking for resources, um, I have a list of books there that were helpful to me um, and that I would definitely recommend. And then, yes, I also have some little fun freebies, um, some printables that you can print out and hang up. And I have the free lock screens that I again, try to do monthly um, that are relatable to kind of what's going on in whatever season of the year. Um, This month, I have one on there that's specific to pregnancy loss. And so if you want just a little reminder of your baby and the love that you still feel for your baby, um, there's a free screenshot on there this month that's related to that. Um, Yeah. And the post on Mother's Day um, is, um, 
Yeah, that's just a must read for everybody. I'm, I'm just yes, going to... Mother's Day, I, yes. <laughs> I mean, that post, I mean, I'm just like, I, I just read that and I'm just, I dissolved and I'm thinking to myself, I don't, I, every Mother's Day, I'm just going to repost that. Like, I this, this is it. That's all I'm going to say every Mother's Day. It's just so um, intimate and good and remembering that all moms matter, um, so right. important. And, and I think something that, um, you know, we as Christians need to be more and more sensitive to in the church. Yes. I think that... You know, this is not the same conversation, but it is a related conversation. You know, there are so many women who have intentionally ended their pregnancies and then become Christians or come to the place where they recognize the reality that that, um, you know, that baby uh, was a real human being. Um, And that's a that's a different but related conversation. And I don't want to I don't want to miss that this resource is potentially really helpful um, for them as well. And so, um, Jenny, thank you. Thank you for being so vulnerable and so open with us. Thank you for the book um, and the resources at the website and the way that you engage on this topic. Again, the book is Courageously Expecting, 30 Days of Encouragement for Pregnancy After Loss. Jenny Albers is the author. You can find her and all the resources we discussed at Jenny Albers, A-L-B-E-R-S.com. Jenny, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Carmen. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. Um, as we close out this hour and look forward to the next hour, I am anticipating our weekly conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. And then we're going to talk with a 13-year-old who has written a book. Yep, it's a book of jokes. It's called You're Joking Me. William Daniel is going to join us for a little Friday frivolity and fun. Let's, um, Let's walk off with this. The 118th edition of the World Series begins tonight. The Houston Astros are going to host the Philadelphia Phillies in game one. Um... So when you talk about um, when you talk about history, uh, the Phillies being in a World Series, particularly when the Phillies win a World Series, that has historically preceded total financial turmoil. <laughs> so I'm rooting for the Astros. There you go. Just based on this. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We got another hour up next. If you're not already subscribed um, to the podcast, you should do that wherever you get your podcast. Um, and why? Well, because that way you get the show notes every day as well, in addition to uh, the audio. And it's a great way to share it with someone else and be an ambassador of the ministry. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.